from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. It's weird to talk about these things because ramen's very layered. How does your show you have an edge? There's a word in Japanese that's That's just a given. Getting off on the right foot. It's an acknowledgement of their choice yes, to come into the place, absolutely. right? I'll just have a moment where I just look and I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm Elaine Cha. There's something profoundly satisfying about a stellar bowl of ramen. The chew of a noodle that asserts its existence and demands homage to its maker. The depth of a broth laden with nuance and globules of umami. Tender slices of pork an egg yolk like silk, and circles of green scallion, sharp yet sweet. It's altogether glorious. And according to Sauce Magazine and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the best new place to experience such a miracle is a 24-seat shop in the Northampton neighborhood called Menyarui. And here to talk with us about it is the restaurant's namesake and chef himself, Stephen Persley. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. What does Menya Rui mean and who came up with it? Um, so Menya, directly translated, means noodle shop. So that's kind of a common title for noodle shops in Japan. It's almost like Osteria. Um, so that's that part of it. Rui is my Japanese name, so I just put it together. And what does Rui mean? Rui, this kanji symbol means like base or foundation. Um, it also can mean like a base in baseball. Mm-hmm. My dad was a big fan, so that's kind of how my parents came up with it. Okay. Well, it seems very appropriate to what you're doing, <laughs> in fact. Now, ramen is a word, and it's a, a menu item that many people are now much more familiar with than they might have been, say, 15, 20 years ago. Sure. Why did you decide to go with menya instead of Ramenya, which might have been more immediately understood by folks who are not familiar with Japanese food. So when I moved over there to study, um, I was exposed to these noodle dishes outside of just ramen, which is the soup or the noodle inside the soup. Um, if you check out our menu, there's two other sections that skemen. So that's a thicker noodle on the side of a concentrated broth that you dip and eat. And then a brothless noodle which is tossed in some aromatic oils, and it's almost like an Asian pasta. So I wanted to kind of push the ramen culture forward and highlight these other um, ways to experience noodles. So there's an expansion then. Exactly. Great. Now, incorporating your name has been part of your ramen story here in St. Louis. You started serving the dish via pop-up back around 2019 or thereabouts? Correct. Right. And it was under the name of, was Ramen by Rui? Yeah. What initiated that? So after I graduated from UMSL in 2014, I was kind of at a crossroads in life. I didn't have a strong career path. I'd been working in kitchens. Um, so I decided to take a leap of faith. My mother's from Okinawa, Japan. Um, so I wanted to take time to explore that side of my identity. And in the back of my head, I always thought a ramen shop would be a good idea for business in America. So I was like, okay, two birds, one stone. I can explore my identity, go learn and trade. So I hit up my uncle. He kind of got me in with the job and, yeah, booked a flight. 
And I believe it was your uncle. Is it the same uncle who introduced you to ramen, or was this a different uncle? It was a different uncle. Um, so my one uncle lives in Tokyo. He introduced me to ramen way early on when I was a kid. And then my other uncle, who lives in Okinawa, he's a delivery driver. So you know, when he's out making his deliveries, he had this one shop that he liked to stop at. So he talked to the owner. He didn't promise me a job, but he kind of said, "We'll talk to him, and I can. If I don't hire you here, I'll." Put you in connection with some other people that maybe can. Okay, so knowing people in the right places at the right time certainly came into play. Absolutely,、yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't have done it without them. Now, my <clears throat> personal introduction to Japanese ramen came through Daikokuya about、uh, 2003, 2004 in LA's Little Tokyo. Okay, so it was one bowl, and I was hooked. Right, the the tonkotsu broth. Plus the extra fat,、uh-huh. like、the koteri style, when I could handle it, then、yeah. it's just like a milky, porky wonder. But I also think that it might have set me up poorly to try other kinds of broth. It was hard to order other things because I I loved the tonkotsu so much,、yeah. and frankly, I probably just got used to what I was eating.、Uh-huh. So it, it seems like tonkotsu style is most common in the United States. What do you think people miss when they don't try shoyu, which is the the soy sauce base that you use、um, in your broth? I'm glad that you say that because I was the same exact way actually. Before I moved to Japan, I was like dead set on tonkotsu, and I think it's just like a I don't know if it's a misconception, but people just tend to sleep on shoyu because it's a clear broth. It just doesn't look like it's gonna hit as hard.、Um, but that first shop or the mint. The shop that I mentioned about my uncle, he was a the shoyu style, and that's the first shop I worked at. I also worked part time at a tonkotsu shop, so I, I was seeing both of it.、Um, but over time, I think just like the nuance, it's a little more nuanced. I'd say the shoyu. So over time, I kind of fell in love with that, and like you said, it is the most popular style. I'd say in the states for sure. I think so in Japan as well. So I kind of wanted to like juxtapose that and set myself up for. Not doing the same thing as everyone else.、Mm-hmm. Now you've probably heard a million references to the 1985 Japanese film Tampopo, and it happens to be one of my favorite movies of all time. So I hope this reference isn't a, an appetite kill.、Um, in that film, which is about a widow's journey to making the perfect bowl of ramen,、mm-hmm. and the, the ragtag team that trains and rallies around her, there's a scene. Where the ramen masters point out the great energy in one shop's greeting, and then the proportionate limpness of its food. So, <laughs> Stephen, you've said elsewhere that、uh, Menyarui welcomes guests to you know, emulate the warmth and hospitality that's pervaded at all kinds of noodle shops that you worked at during your years living in Japan.、Mm-hmm. How do you think Menyarui's welcome prepares diners for your food? I'm, I think it's just a thing of I know as a customer I've gone into places and even made eye contact with a an attendant or a clerk or whatever and they don't speak right away. It's just kind of an off-putting feeling. So, just to the experience on the other side, I think it's important to just greet customer. I don't know. To me, there's a word in Japanese that's atarimai. That's just a given. And in all service industries, it's. Whether it's a ramen shop or just a store, if you see a customer, you acknowledge them, and I think that's just 
getting off on the right foot and then they feel good before they even sit down, see a menu or see the food, they're already feeling good. So I think it just sets us up for success in that way. It's an acknowledgement of their choice yes, to come into the place, absolutely. right? So uh, the uncle who did introduce you to your first bowl of ramen, I'm thinking about somebody coming into uh, Menyorui. Is there anything um, that you experienced that first time you tried ramen that you've tried to replicate in your shop? I wouldn't. As far as what we do at the shop, I'd say it's more through my studies later in life. Um, I think my first affinity for ramen came in that experience. I couldn't really tell you anything about it as far as the flavor or the style or anything like that. I just remember there was a yellow awning. It was kind of grimy in there. The bowl looked massive because I was like four years old. And it was just a cool experience. Um, And that was up in mainland Japan. My other family's from Okinawa, and there's not as much ramen down there. It's a little bit different. Um, So yeah, it was always kind of like this, I can only eat it when I'm in Tokyo kind of thing as a kid. Um, So yeah, I think that's kind of where that, the, the affinity grew from just that one experience. But as far as what we do at the shop today, that comes mostly from my time studying over there post-college. And the shop we're talking about is Menyorui, and we're here speaking with Stephen Parsley, who's the chef and owner of the, the shop that's located in the Northampton neighborhood of St. Louis. So Shoyu is uh, sort of the, the specialty that you are offering at Menyorui, that doesn't seem to be as widely available elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Given the range of choices that are offered at restaurants around St. Louis, how does your show you have an edge? We make it in-house, first and foremost. And I think our edge just comes from being concentrated in what we do. Um, I think nowadays people just expect a, a choice for everyone under the sun, no matter where you go. And a 24-seat shop, 960 square feet total, I have one three-door refrigerator. Like, I can't have options for everybody. So we just kind of stick to what we do. Um, and I think that allows us to really hone in and put something special in front of you. Now, I did hear that you may be adding a miso broth over the winter. Is there a reason for miso in the winter season? Uh, it's a little hardier. So, yeah, I think it hits a little, or I think shoyu it still is more, I don't know. I, don't, I hate to say that's more palatable because I can eat soup if it's 100 degrees or if it's like zero degrees. For, but for some that are maybe a less uh, soup friendly, I'd say miso is, yeah, just a little hardier. So that's why I wanted to save it for the winter time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, going into the opening, I didn't want to overload myself or I wanted to take it one step at a time. I didn't want to have to take things off the menu. I wanted right. to be able to add things. So we're just taking a slow, slow approach to things. So does that mean that there would be different noodles with the miso broth or is it the same noodles that you are using for the shoyu? It would be the same noodles. And it's actually the same broth as well, or the same stock. So I, it's weird to talk about these things because ramen's very layered. So you have an unseasoned stock mm-hmm. and then a base seasoning sauce, which is the shoyu right now. So instead of having the shoyu, I just make a miso. And then everything else basically stays the same. So you just sub out that one component. And then you have miso flavor instead of shoyu flavor. But you have lots of uh, choices. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. 
Now you're talking about you're working there. It's a three three door fridge. Right. Um, it's a small shop. Right. And you have a small staff. Yep. And that includes your sister. Was partnering with your sister, it's Erica. Uh huh. Right? Was partnering with her in your earliest plans to go from that pop up to a brick and mortar? I'm not sure exactly when I presented to, or I asked her to like if she wants to be part of this. Um, but yeah, shout out to the whole crew: um, Erica, Jason, John, Ken. I couldn't do it without them. Like we all care tremendously about what we do, and we work our tails off to provide, I think, a valuable experience to people. Um, but as far as asking Erica to join, it was she's been along with all the pop-ups. She's been my right hand since then. So I think it was. About the time that I was moving back from Japan, I kind of hit her up like, hey, I'm going to do this if, you know, however long it may take, because that was, I think, 2017. So there was probably a time when she's like, is this actually going to happen? But yeah, um, I hit her up around then. She's always been down. She's been helping with the pop-up. So yeah, naturally. And we've always kind of gone along through childhood and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's just a, a good fit. Does that reflect anything about your core values as a chef and business person to have a small team that's working so closely together? I'm not sure what that means. Um, It's just, like I said, 24 seats, 960 square feet. Any more than four people would be cluttery. Um, But yeah, I think even with ramen compared to other food genres, I guess, it's not fine dining. Um, To me, it's more about who the personality rather than I guess the resume or skills like I just want people that care about what they do and then from there everything else is teachable but if you don't have pride in the work you're doing whether it's making ramen or sweeping a floor then to me I I don't really want you around Mm -hmm. how do you know when patrons have really enjoyed their food so just the the same way we um, greet the customers when they come in, we try to make it a point to say thank you on the way out. And I think some people will even say thank you before we say thank you, and that's a pretty good sign. Um, but yeah, I think when the ex- enthusiastic thank you, goodbye exchange happens, I can tell that they enjoyed it, or straight up they'll just be like, yeah, we'll be back. So yeah, people that enjoy it make it a point to... Uh, to let it be known to us, and we really appreciate that. So you have some regulars who come in? Oh, yeah. That's something I've definitely been surprised by is how many um, return customers we have. I actually looked at it yesterday. Um, this past month, 30% of our customers were returning. So I think that's pretty good for a shop as new as we are. I love solo restaurant meals and noodle soups, ramen, udon, pho, khao soy, the Korean knife-cut noodles, too, uh-huh. when I can get them. That is no contest, the thing that I relish if I can carve out time to eat alone. Now, Menyarui seats only 24, and a good number of them are, are bar seats. What recommendation do you have for people who'd like to come and try the food? Uh, what do they need to keep in mind about coming to the shop? Yeah, so we do have a fair amount of solo diners. That's always encouraged. Um, But like you mentioned, there's only 24 seats total. So we do encourage you to keep your party size small. I'd say four and two is ideal. Um, Definitely no more than like six, as we have a six-person table, but it is communal. So 
Um, yeah, smaller parties are encouraged, but we'll do our best to accommodate anyone who's willing to come give us a try. Oh, and the upside of that is that you can go back again and try other things. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the time that you spent um, in Japan. Sure as a child over the summers, mm-hmm. and your mother insisted that you and your sisters go to Japanese school while you were there. Yep. Did you ever think that you would use those skills to live and train in Japan as an adult? Um, at that time, definitely not. I was uh, fighting tooth and nail. I guess when we were living there, it wasn't so bad, but it was the times when we would go back for summer vacation. The school years were like offset just enough to where it's like, okay, we get out in May here, go straight to Japan, and then they still have like a month and a half of school left. So she made us go to like that month and a half of school. So um, I definitely didn't I didn't have the foresight to uh, appreciate that experience at the time. But looking back, absolutely, I'm grateful to my mother and my father and all my family. But yeah, to putting me through that, giving me, I guess, just like a base set of language skills that Obviously, I can't talk jargon or get into complicated subject matter, but I was able to work in a ramen shop and and gain those experiences through through those, I guess, hardships or whatever you want to call them. And how did those three years in Japan prepare you, not just professionally, but personally, to return to St. Louis? It was, not going to lie, it was hard work. Like, my first job over there... Out with a college degree, I was making 660 in an hour, which is like six bucks. And I was doing dishes on an under-counter dish machine, breaking my back, feet wet every night. So, yeah, I think that builds character. So, I'm right. Like, it prepared me to just do what I got to do to get to a place. And you're here today on a day off. Because the the restaurant is not open every Uh day of the week. What are your current hours, and why have you set them up that way? Um, Currently, we're open Thursday to Sunday, 5 to 10 p.m., just dinner, all dine-in, no carry-out. Like I mentioned earlier, I just wanted to make sure that we're not biting off more than we can chew initially. I do have plans to expand hours once we add on some team members, maybe upgrade some equipment, Um, but for now... We just wanted to take take it slow and only offer what we know what we can we can handle. Mm-hmm. And since you opened Menyarui in February, mm-hmm. it seems to have become an instant favorite among. You've talked about the regulars, thirty percent coming back, regular diners, and people who do food for a living. Mm-hmm. That's quite a lot of attention. Maybe some pressure in a short amount of time. Yeah. Has that has that felt a little bit like a um, a burden to like keep producing in a certain way? No, it's a blessing. Uh, I don't feel pressure. It's we're just like I said, we're we're doing what we do. It's almost like we're just keeping it rolling at this point. I'm not like I said. I'm so happy to not be in a fine dining or in that lane where I'm. It's fifteen dollar everyday food. We just we just have to be consistent, and I think we're doing okay at it. There was a picture that I noticed on your Instagram, and it was from April, and it's called um, Night Vibe. That was the uh-huh. the caption. When you open or close Menyarui, is there anything you always do you know, to keep the shop and yourself grounded? I think uh, the moments just kind of come. Like, I'll be prepping in the morning before anyone gets there, and it might have been like a tough day to get out of bed, but... I'll just like 
I'll just have a moment where I just look and I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm doing this. Like, and I'll feel grateful for it. So I, I don't think there's anything that I do specifically, but yeah, I definitely have those moments, whether it's prepping by myself in the morning time or being in the flow of things in the middle of service where I just like have a fleeting thought where it's like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Stephen Parsley is the chef and owner of Menyarui, a Northampton neighborhood restaurant that specializes in Japanese ramen and a select few other dishes featuring noodles made daily in-house. Menyarui has been named a 2022 Best New Restaurant by Sauce Magazine and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Stephen, this has been a truly drool-worthy treat of a conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Before we close out today's show, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your help. In my last letter to St. Louis on the Air's newsletter subscribers, I wrote about the meaning of vacation for me and for my parents over time. It drew a straight and pretty thick line between time off and work. For me as a kid, going to school was my job. For my parents, work was very clear even as time off was not and really didn't much exist at all. So I also ask in that letter that you share your thoughts on work in the new year. So now that we're three days into 2023, the St. Louis on the Air team wants to know, what do you plan to leave behind in 2022? And what do you want work to be in your life this year? If some of the lines you've drafted between time off and work are less defined, maybe a little squiggly or dotted, or maybe the word work itself is written in pencil rather than pen or marker, that's totally fine. In fact, that's just as important and interesting. That's because it's honest and because it's human. So again, do you have 2023 work resolutions you're willing to share? What are you planning to focus on in the year ahead? And what do you intend to leave behind? Email us at talk at stlpr.org or leave us a voice message on our dedicated line, 314-516-6397. That's 314-516-NEWS. This episode was produced and edited by Emily Woodbury. Podcast designed by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. 
Details at ChooseWood.com.